Warning, the following podcast contains violent scenes that may be unsettling to some listeners. Listener discretion is advised. The post-Civil War landscape of the American West offers escape and opportunities to many new immigrants who come to the country's shore. A few of them brave the journey to the camp town of Missouri Crossing, each looking for a new lease on life in the Dakota Territories. Join the settlers of Missouri Crossing, including Gregory Smith, played by Joaquin, Sister Margaret Miller, played by Monica, Bjorn Hagman, played by Chris, and Craig as the keeper of arcane lore, as we explore the horrors that await us on Down Darker Trails. So Sister Margaret, uh, you, in a haste, uh, beat a retreat from Jerry's saloon tent and make your way probably back to the encampment that you guys are starting to settle. And on the way, you actually almost run right into Sister Margaret. Sorry, Sister Michael. Sister Margaret's instinct is to very casually hide the book at her side because the last thing she needs is to be caught with an occult book right now. So she smiles as if nothing is wrong and uh, says, oh, Sister Michael, is it time for us to meet already? Oh, I was hoping to run into you soon. Yes, I I believe now would be a great time. And you're noticing that she has a very large bundle of cloth and fabric with her. Margaret smiles and nods, although in her head, she's just thinking about how Desperately, she needs time to read this book before Pete can bathe and come claim it. She was hoping that she could just run back to her tent, power read it, maybe take some notes. But of course, you know, God is telling her that she's not meant to read this book. So he's putting Sister Mark, uh, Sister Michael in her way. So she, you know, she smiles, she nods and says, oh, of course. Uh, what is that you've got there? Oh, just a surprise. Oh, I do like surprises. Uh, Should we go back to the church? Oh, there's no need. Um, I I got yours as well. Okay. Uh, Lead the way. Where are we going? Oh, just follow me. I I, I think you'll like it. And um, she starts uh, walking in a northerly direction along the river. And uh, you you realize that you're getting even closer to the area you just left um, when... She stops by a little um, spot along the water uh, with a few uh, white tents set up near it. Ah, yes, this is the spot. Uh, you see, sister, I I wanted to do something nice, and I wanted to thank you for all the all the help you've been to me. Oh, sister Michael, you know you don't have to do that. We're sisters in Christ. What's mine is yours. Of course, I don't have to. I I want to. I was. I thought surely I was going to starve or something was going to happen to me on the trail. And I've been doing, I've been doing what I can to, you know, ease your own burdens as you were working to ease mine when I was in such a frightful state. And I I know we have our, our vows and our duties, but I thought maybe perhaps this one small way I can show you my consideration. And my ever everlasting gratitude towards you, sister. Margaret is feeling very touched. Um, there's a lot of guilt that she feels because she sees that Sister Margaret is just, I mean, Sister Michael's so pure while she herself 
is kind of sneaky and underhanded. She's been lying and she's not been the best version of herself for the past day. So she feels that she should aspire to be more like Sister Michael always is. So, you know, her eyes well up a little bit with tears and she uses her free hand to kind of dab them off with the back of her knuckle. And she nods and says, you're, you're truly too kind. You know, I would do that for anyone, but for you, I would gladly give up my food. I would gladly give up my shelter. What's mine will always be yours. But she's kind of eyeing the, the fabric to see what it is that she's got. Um, you're noticing that it is every piece of garment and laundry that the two of you own. And, you know, it's been such a, a long and tiresome, um, I'm trying to think of the word, um, ordeal to get here and set up a um, camp and find a permanent place to live. And, like, you realize, other than just, like, washing quick in the river, like, you're still going off, like, week old, weeks old laundry at this point. And... Um, you're, you're getting the feeling that she's uh, offering to do something very nice for you. So she looks at the pile of clothing and looks up at Sister Michael and says, no, you can't possibly. This, this would take hours. Your hands would bleed by the end of it. Oh, I'm not the only one going to be doing it. Follow me. And she leads you along the river towards uh, one of those white tents where... Um, she leads you into one and you see this like wooden basin sort of, and there's like a young girl who is filling the basin up with piping hot water, um, that she um, brought from a, like a kettle on a fire nearby. And she's just filling it up in, and inside the tent on, on a, like a little wooden stool next to it, there's like a small towel and a bar of soap. Margaret looks a little perplexed, but as she's following Sister Michael, she takes the opportunity to kind of uh, go under her garments and slip the book into her the her bloomers by her hip, just in case, you know, there's water. She doesn't want any more damage, although the thought of Pete's spittle being on her naked flesh is just making her skin crawl. She follows Sister Michael inside, sees the hot water and the soap, and she's kind of looking at her perplexed. She's not quite sure what's going on. Well, it's already paid for, so there's no sense in not using it. So um, you go first, and I'll get started on the clothes, and uh, then I'll, I'll take I'll take the second one, and you can finish up. Margaret is so thankful. Somewhere in the back of her mind, she's wondering if she's doing this because she showed up stinky too many times in the morning. <laughs> um, she she she's still you know feeling very emotional at the gesture that sister michael would not only do this for her but spend money that for them is just so tight that she kind of wipes a tear uh, from her eye again and says wow i don't know what to say thank you thank you so much i wow and um she kind of starts looking around for a place that she can disrobe and go in the bath because maybe she'll get to read in there. And um, Sister Michael nods and like as um, she's exit exiting, kind of uh, drops um, um, some of the laundry and uh, starts uh, giving it to one of the bath maids and says, "Oh, just just take your time. Um, uh, come get me when you're done. But I don't expect you to be out until you're 
Uh, right old prune. Now, is that is that clear? Absolutely. And she says it with a lot of excitement. She hasn't had a proper bath in God knows how long. And not only that, but this gives her the perfect opportunity to have total privacy as she reads this book and glean some information from it. So she'll go where, you know, it's the private area. She'll get herself undressed and she'll stick her foot in the hot water, kind of getting her body used to it. And when she's finally able to go in, she'll reach over and grab the book to start reading it. And it's wonderful. Like you, you can't remember the last time you were able to bathe with hot water. And like, this is truly a luxury out here. Like there's a bar of soap, there's a towel and like, you can hear sister, um, sister Michael and some of the other uh, maids working on the laundry um, outside Um, at some point. um, The, the young girl comes back in and pours some more water in with you and, you know, takes out your, your dirty clothes and presumably hands them to uh, Sister Michael. Um, and you're able to slip the book out from underneath the towel. And if you like, you can get started. I would definitely like to start reading this book. She's kind of fighting the clock. The more she can read before Pete shows up, she's thinking maybe she can act like she perused through it and it wasn't as interesting as she thought. So the kiss wouldn't be worth it. That's her kind of plan of action. Speed read, glean as much as she can before she has to return it. So you open the red uh, tome and it's, it's, you know, like about an inch thick, maybe a few inches tall. It's, you know, a decent sized volume, but it doesn't look like it would take ages to finish. It's, you know, probably a few hours, but you feel like you can get, you know, a fair bit uh, done in your time here. But uh, you open it up and there's some sort of like uh, elaborate, like monogram on the front of it where you see HB and you open up a few pages past the title pages and you see the words my journey into the ninth circle uh, by the famed occultist Herschel Buckman. And you flip through on the pages and like going through it, you're kind of getting the idea that uh, at first class, it's like some highbrow, like self-indulgent prattle. You flip through, you notice a few um, distinct um, like section headings. There's one, the story of a man who is searching for the one true path to enlightenment there's one journey into the Orient. There's one called Secrets of Arabia and the Himalayas. There's one called Lessons from the Dark Continent, and another called Blood Rituals of the Aztecs. So those are the the headings, and you know you kind of like read a little bit to sample it, and it kind of reminds you of the book The Travels of Sir John Mandeville, which is sort of like a Victorian version of a medieval travelogue about a guy who claimed to have gone to a lot of places and seen a lot of things, but modern uh, scholars have determined that he probably just, you know, copied it from other books or made things up entirely. You also notice that interlaced between some of these sections are letters, maps, really bad poetry, hymns. There's a recipe for blinding powder and family planning uh, concoctions and spells. There's also some practical advice on taming gin and curing sleep paralysis. And you, you feel like you can, uh, you know, finish it in a, in a good day. But uh, is there anything that you would that catches your eye that you would lo- want to look in further? Well, for her current 
position with the girls. Uh, she's interested in the family planning aspect of it. Um, she kind of does skim through the headers of all the chapters. And at first, she doesn't take it seriously because, like you said, it does seem like these very boisterous allegations of a well-traveled man who has all this, you know, culture under his belt. But it's likely not you know, you can't be that rich to have traveled all these places in your lifetime, especially given the lifetime of this time period. So she's kind of rolling her eyes and thinking how silly it is to have thought that this would have yielded anything. And then she starts getting towards the back where she sees that there's, you know, things about summoning gins and, you know, family planning and potions, etc. So that's the area that she's particularly focused on, because that's the area that could be, you know, bring evil into this world and shy people away from God. So, like, focused on the the family planning section, it's nothing that you haven't heard of before in your medical expertise. Um, basically, there's certain plants and certain concoctions that can, you know, you know, cause bleeding to simulate menstruation or, you know, cause a child not to take root um, inside a woman's womb. There's also a few things that the book adamantly refers to as real spells and um, they have some peculiar names to them. One's called uh, Call the Crawling Chaos, and another one's called uh, The Body Warping a Golgoroth. And there's another quaint one that promises to teach you the secrets of psychometry. Ooh, okay. So she's reading over that, and I think her attention would be drawn to anything that has the word secrets in it. So teaching the secrets of psychometry would be something that she, her eyes would immediately start to peruse. So basically it, it kind of goes into how the, the author and famed historical occultist Herschel Buckman. And he basically the, the author is talking like he's been around for ages and has gained a lot of uh, wisdom and can, you know, open up the, the chakras in his palms to kind of pick up the uh, surface um, sensations and psycho energy uh, left behind on objects and kind of get a sense of feel of like what their past was or, you know, just like basic, it kind of sounds like fortune telling to you. Yeah, she's going to recognize it as the Bible equivalent of like throwing lots. So she immediately sees this, this must be a sin, you know, that it's obviously very eye catching, very alluring. She doesn't know why somebody like Jerry would have a book such as this, given his occupation. So it just seems odd to her, but she's reading up on it. And the men, you know, at the mention of this man having lived so long, you know, it just kind of goes into her skepticism along with the rest of the book mentioning all the places he's traveled. She thinks this is definitely a con man trying to sell fake fortunes, you know, snake oil remedies and things like that. Although there is the conflict that the family planning section was accurate. So that's kind of crawling in the back of her mind. Like it does seem like, you know, Eastern pish posh, obviously fake religion, following fake gods and, you know, fortune telling but this part was right so hmm uh, after she reads that she's going to skim to the other two spells just to look at the reagents and see if there's anything truly malicious like the blood of a virgin the blood of a child or slaughtering an animal kind of thing so strangely enough when you get to the you know the, you get to crawl the calling chaos it's just like it talks about some sort of like 
sort of like uh, reagents, like an hourglass or like a water clock to something that can you can measure time with. And it just seemed just like, you know, bringing like a spirit or something forward in order to, you know, help help things happen faster or, or give you insight into different things of how things could and how things will be. It's just a bunch of nonsense, really. But then you get to the one, the body warping of Golgoroth. It's it's really kind of weird, and it's like described very in grotesque terms. And you notice that one of the requirements to perform this spell is to consume wholly a human eyeball. So she's relaxing in her bath, feeling completely at ease and she's kind of chuckling at the ingredients of the previous spell you know the hourglass and the ability that she could you know see into things unseen and she's kind of musing to herself that if this you know any of this crap was actually real she'd use it to kind of find the the source of lavender's wound since it's causing her so much trouble but obviously oh you know a clock a a piece of this a piece of that that's surely gonna do it and she's laughing kind of now feeling silly that she thought this was anything true until she gets to that that spell and she sees that it mentions consumption of an eyeball and at that her stomach turns a little and she's thinking how absolutely grotesque but there's a doubt in her mind that given the previous chapters anybody with any sort of culture would truly believe in anything written here so she doesn't believe that anybody would go through these lengths but she keeps reading and kind of jotting down in her head to later later make notes particularly this ritual because it stands out from all the others yeah and as you're going through the the ritual it's t- talking about how the spellcaster if that's even a real thing can change their own form to kind of suit whatever whim or desire that they want to just by you know following a few easy easy steps a few chance um just you know lighting a few candles and culminating with the consumption of the eyeball at the apex of the spell and you're kind of getting a little into it um like i was like okay this this could be useful but like at what cost sort of thing and you're kind of like flipping through the book and like just kind of you this is your cursory um glance at it and you're 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 feeling really comfortable the maid um comes in a few times and adds some more uh water to the to the little margaret stew that you got going on um as you're cleaning up and like you're feeling really relaxed and like like the um the girls kind of like um prompts you to put your head back and like says uh just just one second ma'am and she pours um some of the water over the back of your head on your forehead and goes back to your hair and just it's very relaxing and you kind of like feel yourself drifting a little bit and you're just soaking there you're feeling warm and good all around you and kind of have this like um dark feeling as you close your eyes that things are just like all warm and dark and it's like you feel like you could actually rest here and you're feeling weightless in the water and you kind of you can almost feel your hair as it's floating on the surface like as long as it's been getting and it, it can almost like uh touch the tips of your bra- um, breast in the water and you're just feeling completely weightless and then similar to the feeling that you had when you were thinking about the eyeball consumption you had like a lurch in your stomach and you have like the sensation of hanging upside down 
and it's sort of like this weird dark area that you're in and your your eyes are just like clamped shut and you're kind of feeling a little bit of fear and like you feel removed from the coldness you feel removed from the warmth around you and you feel like coldness touching your body and you look around and you open your eyes but it doesn't help everything is dark it's still dark even though you're trying to blink and you can't see anything around you hmm so margaret when this is happening she was just so relaxed in the luxury of the bath the luxury of which she perceives is a comedy book uh, parts of which she's reading out loud because at this point she doesn't think that any of these incantations have any power after all she's protected by god and um as she starts to really relax and she closes her eyes she starts to feel like she's going to drift to sleep because she's just so comfortable and she hasn't felt comfort like this in literally months so as she's drifting and she starts feeling that lightheadedness of hanging upside down she is partially in her consciousness thinking that maybe the water is just too hot and she's getting lightheaded because hot water was just reapplied and applied to her hair. And she has this feeling of complete disorientation. Um, And when she opens her eyes and sees nothing but blackness for a second, she thinks that maybe somehow like a thick curtain was pulled over and natural daylight was taken away, but it would take so much effort to do that that it almost immediately becomes just an impossible idea that, that, that there's a logical explanation for this. So she kind of jolts and she, she kind of keeps adjusting her eyes. She keeps blinking hard as if wondering if she's just gone blind or if this is a dream trying to wake herself up. And you see like coming towards you, you, you feel now definitely that you're like outside or in a cave or underground somewhere like, you're trying to like orientate yourself and you see this like beam of light getting closer towards you, almost like um, it's like a lantern and you hear buzzing around you and you're trying to adjust your um, eyes and like a fly lands on your eyeball and you're kind of like flip it off. And then you realize that you're kind of hanging from something and your attention goes to the base of your feet and you seem to be almost molded into the rock of the ceiling above you and you're just seeing like flank faint glimpses as you're dangling upside down you could feel your hair still wet just like like scraping on the ground and it's I, I mean I guess how do you feel at this point can, can we make a sanity roll always I got a six oh man 60 against 61 so somehow you're keeping it together and through all this and you lose three points of sanity and you're seeing like this light come towards you and you you manage to keep from screaming at this point. It's like you didn't know where this was like this reserve is coming from. And then you you hear like a voice from behind you saying your laziness and godlessness has been noted. You are a poor example to your sisters and a stain on the order. And, of course, you recognize that voice. Do I recognize that voice? Oh, yes. It is none other than the voice of the uh, Mother Superior from St. Brian's of the Windy City. I would say that definitely makes her scream. She fears that woman. (laughs) All right. Uh, So um, the the light, you realize, is 
coming from a lantern held by that woman and it's kind of illuminating patches around you and you notice that there are other people bodies hanging upside down as well in various states of decay around you and the buzzing of flies are just building up at this point uh can i get another sanity roll this time remember it's three less than your previous one that one's a 60 out of what now is 58 and there we go <laughs> uh so that's uh six that's more than five or um five or more in one go so First off, lose uh, six more sanity. And second, I'm going to need you to make me an idea roll, which is your intelligence straight up. Damn it. 82 out of 80. So you fail your ideal roll, which is actually probably good because uh, that means you don't immediately go insane. However, that is more than uh, like, actually, that would be nine. Okay. The count is at nine. So. Oh, sanity loss? Yes, nine in one game hour. hour. So the the flies are just like picking up and buzzing and like you hear yourself screaming and you like as you're swaying back and forth, you're getting glimpses of the mother superior and she's just like just has like this biggest grin as she's seeing you in the predicament that you're in. And like she has this look like you deserve to be here. And I'm not sure if um, Margaret would agree as much, but um, you just scream and scream and scream. And then you close your eyes and you open them and then you hear screaming coming from outside the bath. Okay, so do I open my eyes and I'm back in the bath? Yes, you are flooded by light all around you, but you see that um, there's screaming coming from outside and there seems to be a bit of a commotion outside. So Margaret immediately touches over her body to make sure that she's really back in her body. Buckman's book has, you know, slipped outside the tub and is, you know, resting on the floor half opened. And the the screams just startle her so much that she's in fight or flight mode. So she basically just bounces out of that tub as if the water were just burning acid. And uh, she grabs the towel and half acidly covers herself as she starts to very loudly say the Lord's prayer, you know, our father who are in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done. And as she's, she's slipping, as she's running, she's falling, crawling, and she's trying to go out, trying to see if something has happened to sister Michael. So you get out of the bath tent um, and you're really close to the river and you see just like a, a gaggle of women, both uh, Sister Michael, thankfully, and a bunch of the other like uh, laundry maids and uh, wash maids who had been gathering around. And they they appear to be like clustered around something that's in the water. And you kind of like push your way closer to it. And then you realize that it is a humanoid figure. And this is in the water where they were washing clothes, correctly? Correct. You actually see um, a few of your laundry has been washed and hung up, but like there's like uh, one of your habits is like kind of like in the mud right now um, and seems to have been abandoned as something else took precedence. So she's clutching the towel, but her hands are shaking so much that she's constantly trying to regroup the towel because it just keeps slipping out of her hand and she immediately runs to sister Michael to see what's wrong. And when she looks at the water, she lets out this 
blood curling scream as if she thinks this is this can't possibly be real she was just taking this perfectly wonderful bath and right now her heart is racing she feels her blood pounding in her ears and she's going completely pale she's latching onto sister michael with her free hand trying to pull her back from the water and she's screaming what is this what is this uh so as you're doing that you're 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 kind of riling up some of the other women as well, because none of them were expecting to see a body. Now, does mechanically, does Margaret have any like abilities that keep her from like going insane when she sees bodies? No, I did no. not get the medical pack because she's okay. too young. Yep. Okay. So can I get you an- another sanity roll then? You betcha. <laughs> okay. I passed 40 out of 52. So you're you're more like um surprised than fearful of the body itself. Um I think that probably Margaret's reaction is more of coming from where she the where she was, the mindset she previously was and seeing something like show up now rather than like the actual body because it's just it's just the body, but in connection with the other thing which you already lost sanity for is probably what um is making you scream at this point. So like what's What's Margaret's reaction to all this? What What is she doing? Well, I think her mind is completely blank at the moment with just absolute horror of what's going on. Uh, she's still extremely confused and disoriented. Uh, she can't tell if she just fell asleep in the bath and woke up to this happening. But why would such a strange thing happen? She's not making any connections that it, it would have anything to do with the book. She's just trying to tell whether... This is a dream that she has to wake up from or whether this is really happening. So she lets go of her towel, forgetting her modesty. And she's very violently shaking Sister Michael, saying, where did it come from? Where did it come from? Did you do this? Who did this? And she looks at you and her her eyes are like kind of like like dripping tears at this point. I don't know. It uh, it, it just came down the water and I was washing the clothes and it it, it just showed up here. And then, like, she takes another glance down at the the body, and you're realizing that it is um, a woman. Again, she's as naked as you are at this point. She has probably dark blonde hair, but it's hard to tell because it's um, really wet. And she seems a little thin um, and pretty pale. But other than that, um, she just, it's hard to tell what's um, happened to her, but just a naked woman in the water. So can sister Margaret tell if this is like a fresh death or if there's some sort of decomposition? I figured she would kind of know uh, based on her war experience, what a fresh corpse would look like versus one that's got rigor mortis or bloating from being in the water a long time. You could probably uh, find out pretty easily, but that would involve taking the body out of the water and, you know, doing some sort of exam on it. Would you like to do that or, but you are kind of still standing there naked. Yeah. I don't think she would touch a dirty, <laughs> dirty dead body while she's naked. So uh, she's still staring in, in disbelief and trying to find some sort of logic in this, but she's in a sort of daze. Her eyes still feel like they're stinging from the sudden light when she was in that dark cave. And as she's trying to look at this woman, uh, she's trying to see if maybe she's one of the the whores that she saw at the, uh, the Silver Dollar. She's trying to really jog her memory to see if she's seen this woman before or if this is com- a complete Jane Doe. 
Yes, if you would like to make me a, I wish it was like a recognized role, but I'm thinking spot hidden might be the most appropriate unless you can justify something else. Spot hidden, yeah, I agree with you. Spot hidden would be the only thing. And I get 22 out of 30. Well, first off, check your spot hidden. Secondly, you've never seen her before. And as you're pointing out, actually, no one there's ever seen her before. She people start talking and like it's quite notable that she is a woman and no one knows her because as we discuss it is mostly men here and most of the women are either like wives or they work here or they work at the silver dollar but most women are known especially by the other women and there's just talk around and no one's ever seen her before it's like she's just appeared out of nowhere Margaret is trying to uh, shield Sister Margaret's face with her with her shaking hands. Uh, she has obviously seen plenty of dead bodies before, but she is even herself. She's horrified by what she sees, and she can only imagine the type of psychological trauma that this will cause Sister Michael. She's seen what war does to the minds of soldiers, and she doesn't want that for her dear friend. Um, she wishes she could shelter the other woman that was, uh, you know, seeing, but all she can say, manage to say is, turn away, don't look, turn away, don't look. This We don't need to see this. Somebody, please, somebody, go find, go find Mr. Bajon. He'll know what to do. Please go find him. Sister Michael, don't look. And she She's sheltering her, but she herself can't take her, her, her eyes off the body. The fact that she's hearing that nobody knows this woman and she herself hasn't seen her either at the silver dollar at service or just on the street. She's wondering if this is a woman who just got into town and was murdered because nobody would miss her as nobody would recognize her. Or if this is a woman that Perhaps she just never met. She's trying to really do her best to find, to match the face to a name or to, you know, a husband or something. And coming up with nothing makes her feel very uneasy. So you send off one of the laundresses to find Bjorn as you're cradling uh, Sister Margaret's um, head in your arms. And you just can't help but just stare at the body as you're looking at it and you're noticing two small puncture wounds on her right breast. At that, she feels that same strange energy in the back of her head and going down her spine, like the hairs on the back of her neck are standing up and she feels this jolt of cold electricity going through her. She starts really shaking now, not just her hands, but her whole body, because all she can think of is... Lavender. Lavender had the same exact marks from this unknown animal. And her her eyes immediately go to those two puncture wounds. And, you know, she says to Sister Michael, you just gather our things. Forget you've seen this. Go to church. Pray for us. Pray for everyone here. I'll wait for Mr. Bajorn to come. I'll, I'll serve as a witness for what we've seen. But please, please don't, don't, don't look, don't think about it. Just pray, pray for us all. When he gets here, we'll examine the body. We'll see what happened. Don't tell anyone, anyone except for father knows what you've seen. Do you understand me? And sister Michael is just sobbing and she shakes her head and just like tries to take off, but um, like can't just, she just can't bring herself to leave your arms at this point. And she's just shaking, just violently shaking 
Hunters Hunted 2 Corruption follows four hunters who have been plagued by the Supernatural Society and is a great place to start if you're looking for more games to listen to by Twin Cities by Night and you enjoyed Missouri Crossing.